Welcome back to another episode of the Legal Warrior Podcast. I'm Stephen Hislop, and I'm joined by my co-host and the founding partner of Richardson Richardson Boudreaux Law Firm, Gary Richardson. In Tulsa, Oklahoma. It is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, (laughs) where we are sitting on a patio, and the weather has finally started to shift, and it is awfully nice out here. What do you think? It is nice. It's a bit chilly, but it's nice. It is. It's not hot, and that's key to me today. Okay. Yeah, and you're dressed for it. I am. With your pink uh, top on. I am wearing a pink hoodie today, and I notice that you are also wearing a pink shirt today. (laughs) You just had to mention that, I did, (laughs) because I've known you for almost seven or eight years now, and I don't think we have both worn a pink shirt on the same day yet. I don't think so. So, Gary, um, let's talk a little today about some of the cases that you've handled throughout your career. Uh, many people know that you have represented Vic Fazell in the Henry Lee Lucas case, right. and not as many people know that you've actually represented um, Henry Lee Lucas as well. Would you care to expand upon that? Well, I represented Henry for two years, uh, trying to unravel all the things that he had been used for law, by law enforcement to do that were totally illegal and improper. Uh, uh, having Henry uh, confess to committing murder cases all over the country, and I mean literally all over the country, he would have had to have had a jet uh, to uh, even come close to crisscrossing the country and doing the things that he confessed to doing. And uh, he was try- he was helping law enforcement because they were showing him favoritism. He was already in in uh, jail on a murder case. Was he there for life or on on death row? No, he was there for life. And uh, so he just uh, started helping law enforcement uh, because they had some other another charge they were going to bring against him. And, you know, as I said before, they showed him a lot of favoritism, gave Henry a, a cell there in Georgetown with carpet. And according to what, he, what I understand uh, from him, uh, a telephone to, uh, you know, where he could order his favorite strawberry milkshakes just wow. about any time he wanted to and a television so he was treated somewhat like a king uh because he was helping law enforcement and the law enforcement the sheriff's office they were giving him files to study is that correct yeah if there was an investigator in another city whether it was oklahoma or texas or new mexico or arizona wherever it was and uh an investigator would call uh, the sheriff down in Georgetown and ask him if he would talk to Henry and see if maybe Henry was in his city and maybe could have committed a murder they weren't able to resolve. And uh, the sheriff would tell him to send down the file, and they, they, meaning the sheriff in his office, would review it. They would interview Henry, and if they uh, concluded that he did the uh, murder that... uh, then they would call the detective back and ask him to come down to Georgetown and interview Henry, so he would. But uh, in the meantime, they, uh, they didn't interview Henry. They, in fact, put the file that uh, the, detect- the detective sent to the sheriff in a uh, room and put Henry in the room with the file. Henry would study the file, and then he was prepared to give them the answers that they wanted. Wow, so he knew the file better than probably the judge that they would that would be handling the case oh yeah because judge didn't know anything about it at the time but anyway uh, during the time that i represent henry i did a press conference and talked about how the sheriff in georgetown was uh, somewhat uh, spearheading this effort 
to help uh, get uh, other officers around the country get uh, unresolved murder cases settled. And uh, that didn't set well with him, so I, was, I received the message that I better not ever be caught in his county uh, <laughs> with, with a car problem, a flat tire, something like that. Uh, it would not uh, serve me well. And uh, I don't take threats very well. Right. So I uh, had someone go with me, a, a friend, and I went to Georgetown, went to the sheriff's office, and uh, asked to see Henry. He was my client, so I had the right to see Henry. And uh, they wouldn't let me, so I told him I wanted to see the sheriff. Well, the sheriff wasn't there. So I said, well, call him, tell him I'm here, and I want to see Henry. And if I don't get to see Henry, I said, it's going to be even worse on him than it is now. Oh, boy. Yeah, so finally he came. Now, this is a guy that had sent me that I don't know that he sent the threat, but uh, I'd gotten a threat, as I just talked about. So he came, and he did let me see Henry, and uh, so things moved on. And I only, I only represent Henry to help him find lawyers, uh, court-appointed lawyers, to unravel things that he had uh, confessed to. Okay. And what was it like talking to Henry for the first time as his attorney? Because from what I understand, he was he was out there might be the best way to put it. Well, Henry wasn't highly intelligent, but he was street smart. Okay. And uh, he was also kind of like a, a a collie dog, you know. He was very gentle and uh, uh, cooperative, as as uh, you might suspect. Uh, he had been that way with law enforcement. So anyway, it finally, uh, we got most of it unraveled, and then uh, I went on about my business. Wow. But, you so, know, the thing is, Steve, is there is a lot of corruption that goes on inside law enforcement. Now, I'm not saying this is the case with all law enforcement. Obviously, it isn't. I support law enforcement, but uh, I don't support wrongdoing. I hate corruption with a passion. Right. And the sad thing is so much goes on. And there's very little idea that it's going on. And even when there is, there's very little way to prove it. Yeah. I listened to a couple crime podcasts, and it seems like over and over again, key evidence in cases just comes up missing. Right. And it's hard to believe that there is not corruption involved in that because this is stuff that's taken very well care of. Well, and as I've said for years, just because you put a badge on someone does not within itself give them integrity. But society seems to kind of feel like, particularly if it's an FBI agent, and in this case, there were two FBI agents involved uh, that were helping with the wrongdoing. But, uh, you know, I just uh, really want to impress that just because someone has a badge on doesn't mean that they have integrity. Right. And I, you've stressed that to me before, and I really understand it. Yeah. It, it, and it does make a lot of sense. And And this isn't you attacking law enforcement no. because i know how much respect you have for them i'm attacking corruption correct right. and it's a certain few that ruin the whole image for yeah. everybody and it's sad and you know you have that in all professions we have it in the legal professions not every, every lawyer has integrity you know and that's unfortunate but uh people are people right you know and uh if they have integrity before they have a badge on, they'll have integrity after they have the badge on. Right. If they don't have integrity before they put a badge on, they won't have integrity after they put a badge on. Right. And that's that's sad that the human, and not everybody's human nature, but their human nature is just 
not to do the best thing in the well, situation. That's, that's the case. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the case with all. Right. I'm not one that uh, impugns in, an entire profession just because there's some uh, people in the profession without integrity. Right. And again, I say the same thing about the medical profession. I say the same thing about the legal profession. You know, there, there are some good uh, men and women that are lawyers in the legal profession that do the honorable thing and uh, have integrity. There are some that don't. Have you found throughout your career that integrity sometimes ties in with money or always ties in with money? No. It can tie in with a number of things. Power, fear, money. Okay. Uh, efforts to try to get power, you know, cooperate. So there are people, and I would assume that you would categorize them as cowards, as people who would almost prefer power over money? Well, that could be the case. I don't want to categorize it, but uh, okay. that could be the case Yeah. in some instances. Hmm. Well, that that's interesting because I've never had I've never had a true desire to have power for any particular reason. Right. That yeah. mean that, that tells me that you're not a coward. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and everybody that wants everybody that that has power are not cowards. I want to make that point. Right. I, again, I don't like to impugn everybody just because of some bad examples. Right. It's hard to use absolutes in that situation. It is. So. Are there any, is there anything else you want to talk about um, with Lucas? No, I think that pretty well says what I wanted to say today because we've covered the Lucas situation fairly well. Okay. And do you have any other cases on mind that you'd like to um, speak of? Well, I mean, you know, uh, even in, a, in the uh, profession of being a judge, uh, <laughs> I had a case in uh, – uh, Greenville, Texas, and I was representing a individual that lived in Dallas, and uh, the defense lawyer, we had sued a bank, and the lawyer for the defense uh, was a good friend with the judge, and the judge was giving me some bad rulings. So at the bench one time, I said, Judge, I'm getting real tired of you giving me bad rulings and to me, it's because you're friends with a defense, defense lawyer. Well, he didn't, he didn't like that too much, so <laughs> he uh, took a recess, told the jury we'd, we were taking a break, and, and told the lawyers to come to his chambers. And, of course, I knew I was headed for a chewing. And uh, so when I walked in, I said, Hey, Judge, have you heard about that hunting dog named Lawyer? And, of course, he kind of grunted. And I said, Well, there's a hunting dog named Lawyer, and everybody that went hunting— uh, when they went to cer this certain location, wanted a lawyer. And a group of guys came up from Austin, had a couple of politicians with them, and uh, they had heard about lawyers, so they wanted to hire a lawyer because if you hire a lawyer, lawyer performed. If you wanted quail, a lawyer found you quail. Lawyer was quite a dog. So they went out hunting, and uh, lawyer performed, and one of those politicians called him judge, and now all he wants to do is sit on his rear and howl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough, the judge didn't say anything to me after that. He just he just said uh, a few things, you know, uh, to all of us as lawyers, kind of how he wanted things to go in the courtroom. We went back and went to trial, and I got a verdict for over a million dollars for wow. my client. Wow. Now, he understood the point that you were trying to make with that story. <laughs> he did, and he also understood that he was not going to intimidate me. Right. You weren't going to back down right. to a bully judge. Right. Which uh, seems like there are many of. 
and I've heard stories, and if you guys have not read Gary's book, Black Robe Fever, it is a great read, and you can find it on Amazon, or you can find it on GaryRichardsonSpeaks.com. Um, Gary, would you like to talk about the book? They can call my office, yeah, 918-492-7674, and uh, I uh, have books uh, that are available at my office. Yeah, Black Robe Fever, uh, the theory of that book when I wrote it, and still is the theory, that all cowards seek positions of power because the more power they have, the more safe they feel. When a coward gets power, they will become a bully. Mm. So when I was in front of judges that were being a bully, I knew I was dealing with a coward. And, you know, friend lawyers would say, you're crazy, man, because I named the judges in my book. And I said, well, there's no judge that would read that book and think it's talking about them. It's always talking about the other guy. Right. And some people probably looked at you and thought you were committing career suicide when oh, yeah. you wrote that book. Oh, yeah. Because it is, uh, you were going out on a limb, but you were telling your clients yeah. stories. And, and when it, I was U.S. Attorney, I, I think, uh, pardon me, I think it would be fair to say that I was a fair U.S. Attorney, but I, I also prosecuted uh, criminal cases, uh, regardless of who the defendant was, if they'd committed crime. I prosecuted the Speaker of the House of Oklahoma. I didn't know that. Yeah. The majority uh, floor leader. We got convictions on both of them for voter wow. fraud. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Do you care to tell that story or is it? Well, the the person that was running for office was the father of the uh, one of the politicians. And he was running for office down in eastern Oklahoma. And I was a U.S. attorney over that area. And they committed fraud by by falsifying uh, absentee votes. Oh, man. So that uh, this father of a politician could win. And we found out about it, and uh, it turned out that uh, Dan Draper, the Speaker of the House, was involved. It was his father, as was the uh, floor leader. So uh, we prosecuted it and got a conviction. Okay. That's... That just shows you that there's so much going on that you'd never know about. Well, I will tell you, in that case, I had the FBI investigate it. They didn't find any wrongdoing, so they said. So I was at a seminar once, and I heard uh, uh, speakers uh, that uh, from another agency that uh, talked about the uh, being involved in voter fraud cases. So I called Dallas, where the head of the uh, group was, and asked them if they would send someone up. And when I explained the case, the leader said, well, Mr. Richardson, you know, we, uh, we kind of have to pick our cases because you're telling us a powerful politicians involved, and <laughs> typically uh, those cases don't go anywhere. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my word. If you will send someone in from your agency and they find uh, wrongdoing, I will prosecute it. Okay. So uh, they sent an agent from Dallas down to Muskogee, and uh, he, uh, after a few days, he told me that he didn't find any wrongdoing. Well, I concluded that all he did was talk to the FBI agents. Uh. So I called his boss and told him what I thought. And again, he, he uh, said, well, you know, uh, we just don't spend a lot of time on a case working it and, and then it not go anywhere. I said, I give you my word again 
that if you send another guy down that would do a thorough job, if he finds wrongdoing, I will prosecute it. And so he did, and he did find wrongdoing, and we, that's how the case wow. ended up having an indictment against the Speaker of the House and the Majority Floor Leader. Persistence. Yeah. Persistence. And I, I do genuinely believe that when you say if you find wrongdoing, you will prosecute. Because I remember the story you've told about prosecuting your own mother. <laughs> and it's probably one of my favorites that you've told me. <laughs> well, I was told that I would never become the U.S. attorney. That They were trying to block my nomination to be the U.S. attorney. And uh, so uh, I had a lawyer tell me the reason, Gary, is because nobody has any control over you. And uh, you would, you, you'd prosecute your own mother. And I said, well... I would hope she would never do anything that caused me to have to do that. <laughs> but, you know, I I just, I, I like fairness. I, I like uh, good law enforcement. And I hate corruption. Right. Hate. And that's a word I don't hear you use very often is yeah. hate. But I, I think that hating corruption is very acceptable. Right. And you've acted out on that throughout your whole career to prove that you genuinely hate corruption yeah. and you're willing to stand up and fight for it. Right. And, yeah. and and I think that is a big differentiator between you and a lot of attorneys is that you are willing to fight hard when you sense corruption. Yeah, and uh, that's just like, you know, I've had two judges, as I've mentioned before, removed from office because of, of uh, their temperaments and how they would abuse uh, citizens. And, you know, in both cases... Lawyers are telling me, man, you're crazy. Uh, if you ever have to go in their courtroom, I, uh, you know, it's not going to be a good deal. I said, yeah, it'll be okay. I said, uh, because they know I'm not going to be intimidated. And right. I said, our job as lawyers is to also to protect the public. Right, right. Not and, and in both cases, uh, the judges ended up resigning rather than uh, being removed from office. Right. And in the bigger story, the judges, they're part of your profession Judges right. mostly come up through being attorneys. That is, is that correct? Oh yeah, they have to be an attorney to be a judge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they should understand the respect that needs to be put on the attorneys. Right. So, but is there anything else you'd like to talk about today? Well, I think you may have another topic or so that uh, we've mentioned we might talk about. Okay. Yeah. Um, how, how about the uh, the Tilton case? The uh, evangelist from Dallas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Robert Tilton. Uh, uh, he, uh, you know, he was making, when I started after him, about $80 million a year uh, as an evangelist, mm. you know, preaching messages that if you do this, God will do that, and if you do this, God will do that. And, and, and people, of course, were sending him all kinds of money. And... Uh, one of the cases, uh, I, I sued him 14 times. Wow. Yeah. And one of the cases, we, we only tried, had to try one of them. We got a verdict again over a million dollars because uh, he had promised a lady that had, you know, told him that uh, uh, that he had, she had uh, had all kinds of good things happen since she sent him money. And so he sent a crew down to her home in Florida to do an interview and for television and made her promise that if she wanted, ever wanted the uh, uh, broadcast uh, of her interview, uh, 
taken off the air that they would take it off the air. Well, the time came when she wanted that done, and they wouldn't do it. Mm. So we ended up suing him and uh, trying it in federal court in Dallas and got, as I said, a little over a million-dollar verdict. Okay, and his name was pretty well-known throughout the nation, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a television evangelist. He was a television evangelist, Robert Tilton. And and he's gone to Florida since then and, and is pretty much doing the same thing again, so I'm told. Wow. Uh, th- it just seems like so much of that ties back into money. I mean, the TV evangelist, it's hard to categorize them all, like you've said. but it, Well, the Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Right, yeah. right. And it's, it's hard to watch evangelists make so much money off of a message that I feel like they're construing. It is. It is because it kind of damages the uh, uh, progress of, of evangelism, you know. And there are a lot of good evangelists. Again, uh, in the profession of evangelism, there's some good ones, and there's some that are out more or less to uh, make money. Was Tilton the the preacher that you talked to about the healing process? Uh, yeah, he was. He was one of a, one of, of several. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember that or not. Um, so we also could cover uh, the Boutwell or Bull Bradley cases yeah uh of course batwell he was the uh the sheriff you know and bull bradley was a totally different case and that was simply a case where bull bradley uh hired me he lived in waco and he hired me to sue a bank for him and uh, we did and got a very good verdict okay yeah. good deal i've only lost uh, in my career i've tried uh well over 100 cases and uh, civil cases, and I've lost three. Wow. Yeah. And, and from what I understand, your firm, Richardson, Richardson, Boudreaux, here in Tulsa, has won over $500 million for your clients. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, something like that. I, I don't know the exact figure, but we have a strong law firm that stands up for the people and the people's rights and people that have been abused. Uh, we stand up for them. It didn't matter who, how powerful the opposition is. Yeah. And you guys are taking cases. Oh, yeah. What's the phone number? 918-492-7674. So if you guys have a question about a um, legal situation you find yourself in or a potential case, call that number, and they will take your call for free. We will, and, and we don't charge. Uh, the clients don't have to pay on cases we take that are on contingency fee basis. Uh, and we, I started the law firm in 1984 here in Tulsa. I, I moved to Tulsa when I was no longer when I resigned as U.S. Attorney in Muskogee because I wanted a I wanted to be in a larger city. So I started my law firm here in 1984. And uh, we've spent our career, my law firm has, uh, representing the people. That's great. Yeah. And I respect what you do, and I've seen what you do, and I know how hard you work. And your son Chuck and Raymond is also a partner. Paul. Paul Boudreaux. Right. Um, Jason. Jason Messenger. Yes. Your your law firm has um, become known as a firm with great integrity, and your hard workers. Well, we hired a lawyer not too long ago that uh, 
uh, came to us and, and I asked her, why did you uh, pick our law firm to uh, try to seek employment? And that was her answer. She said, because I've heard that uh, your law firm is a law firm with integrity. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That is. So if there's nothing else we have to cover today. I uh, think that's about it. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we will be looking forward to um, next week's episode. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, you can find us at the Legal Warrior Podcast. And if you'd like to send us an email or have questions for us, please send an email to legalwarriorpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys and have a great week.